welcome Roger back. Um, Roger, I think the last time we saw you was on a Skype interview. Come, come out to the front. Um, many of us will know uh, Roger from the church house party just over a year ago. Fantastic time we had together. Um, but some weren't there. So I thought we'd just, Roger, just so everyone knows sort of who you are, where you're from, what you're up to, a bit about your family and so on. Tell us um, where, where you've come from and tell us a bit about your family. Okay, so uh, I come from York. Do you know York, everybody? I came on the train yesterday. Uh, so I work in York, uh, and I'm married to one wife, uh, been married for 37 years, have five grown-up children, one of whom is with us today. Um, and one of whom we all know quite well as well. One of whom you know very well, yes, da David, David. Simpson and, and, uh, and Olivia. Yep, yep. So, uh, and Hepzibah. And then, uh, so I work currently for the Archbishop of York, John Sentamu, the black guy from Uganda. He's a terrific man. And I basically do missions with him around the north of England. But I, for the last 30 years, uh, Charles and I are sort of, we're kind of on pa <clears throat> parallel tracks, Charles and I. We've both been ordained for a long time. Uh, and I was the vicar of a church called St. Michael the Belfry, which is a little bit like this church here in the middle of York. Great. And so now as the uh, evangelist for the northern province, yes. that is, is it the wash to the Humber? So it's no, from wash, Nottingham. No, wash to the Mersey, sorry. No, it's further. It's it further goes south. right up to Scotland. So it's no, from Nottingham yeah, up to, that's right, yeah, up that to, line, that's, yeah, north. That's yeah, right, yeah. Okay. You probably know more about it than me. Too. No, it's a long time since so, I did any geography. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so it's all the northern province, basically. Okay. Yeah. And you go around doing... Missions mainly in, in churches. Uh, so sometimes towns, sometimes cities, sometimes universities, uh, and parishes, and sometimes villages, and sometimes people respond, and sometimes they don't. So I've just you know you go with whatever happens really. Now, Roger, you say you've been ordained a long time. What yeah. is it that keeps the gas in the tank? Is this a personal question, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I was thinking no, you, you're, how, pretty, you're pretty gassed what up I, what, I, what I love about you is your, your passion for the gospel yeah. and you know you, 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 you seem to have the same passion now that you had yeah. um, you know when you were when, a young man yes. and yeah. okay. not that you're an old man but no you know, no I am, I, am, <laughs> I am an old but, man am but an old what man. is it that keeps you so excited about the gospel yeah I think um, I find I, I still feel terrible when I go to do a mission. I've just come back from Prague. I did a mission in the university in Prague at Charles University. I felt absolutely terrible. I took a team with me and before, and I assailed with, oh, nobody's going to respond, nobody will listen, and I'm a sinner, and I'm a worm, and all that sort of feeling. And then I get there, and, it's, and then the gun goes off, and we're in, and it's fantastic, because you see God working again and again and again. So it's really that. It's, I know this, this stuff's true, and even though emotionally I go up and down, and I still do, I know that Jesus Christ is the answer. And I actually know that the church, with all its problems, is, as Bill Hybels, it's the hope of the world. I really believe it. I really yeah. believe it. And because of that, I've kept going. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, just tell us a little bit about the, the makeup of this morning. Um, yes. We're going to have so a session to, before coffee. We're going to have a set. If you just go, I'll just tell you what we're going to do. Go up. So the first session, we're going to be thinking of come and see. 
because that's one of the great... Uh, I hope you've brought notebooks. You might all write on the back of bits of paper or something. We've got a, we've got a hand up. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll come and see, and then we're going to have coffee. Then we're going to have go and tell, because both themes come through the scriptures. Come and see who Jesus is, and we're going to be thinking about inviting people to things, then coffee, and then go and tell. And how do we actually do this? How do we talk to people out there, as it were? Fantastic. Oh, well, we're really looking forward to this morning. And without any more ado, I'm going to hand over to you. Can I just pray for you? Yes. You speak? Dear Father, thank you so much for, for Roger, for calling him um, many years ago to be your follower. Thank mm. you for the way he's helped so many people come to a living faith in the Lord Jesus. And thank you, too, for his zeal and enthusiasm for this task. And we pray that we would um, be alert this morning as he opens up your word and as he encourages us in this great task and thank you for the opportunity of sharing this task with him when he comes back in february and march please bless him and use him this morning and mj too thank you for bringing them here to be with us in jesus name amen, amen. great so if you've got a bible i think there's a one on your chair can you turn to john chapter 1 40 and 42 uh, i came down on the train uh, yesterday, a uh, very packed train from York, and I, I heard one story about a, a businessman who was going to uh, speak at a very important conference in Carlisle, and he was getting the train from Euston to Carlisle, and the train was getting into Carlisle at three o'clock in the morning, it was a sleeper, uh, uh, and so he said to the, the guard, he said, now it is absolutely essential that you get me off the train at three o'clock uh, because I've got this very important business meeting in the guard list. And he said, yes, don't worry, I'll get, I'll get you off the train uh, in Carlisle. Anyway, he, so he, he went to sleep on the sleeper and he woke up and the train was in Inverness. He was absolutely furious. So he stormed down the, the, uh, the carriage and he grabbed hold of the guard and he really let rip at him, you know, and he said, you know, you, you said you'd get me off the train at Carlisle and you haven't. And the, and the guard looked at him and smiled and he said, you swear pretty well, he said, but not half as well as the man I put off at Carlisle. <laughs> anyway, I managed to get off. I didn't sleep, so I did get off at uh, King's Cross, all right. Now, um, we're going to uh, look this morning at the first session on... Um, this idea of coming and see. And if you look at John 1, 40 and 41, there's a lovely little story told here about Andrew. And John says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, um, if we can, yes, uh, Archbishop Temple um, was, when he wrote his commentary on John's Gospel, apparently he wrote it on his knees and he prayed to God to speak to him and to reveal to him truth. And when he wrote, read that verse, uh, that I've just read to you. He wrote in the, in the, in the side of his, his, in his book for his commentary, he, he said, the greatest service that one man 
can render to another, which is what Andrew was doing. That is the greatest thing that we can do is to bring our friends to Jesus Christ uh, and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And, uh, and the interesting thing is that if you go through the gospel, you'll find that Andrew was always, if we go on to the next slide, he was always bringing people to Jesus. And there are a number of stories. There's the John 6 story, uh, if you just turn over to the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And who was it that brought the uh, little boy with, with his lunch uh, to Jesus? It was Andrew, another one of his disciples. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a small boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? And again, he's mentioned in John 12 and uh, verse 22 and um, the uh, they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request sir they said we would like to see Jesus Philip went to tell Andrew and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus actually Philip became a great evangelist so Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus Christ and that's what we all want to do. And the other thing about Andrew that, that I notice about him that stands out is that he was hidden. Um, I mean, it was Andrew who brought his brother Simon Peter, and Peter became a huge name and an influence uh, in the early church for Jesus Christ. But we can't all be Simon Peters, but we can all do what Andrew did, which was to bring people to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard of a man called Albert McMakin. Probably most of you don't know who Albert McMakin was. He was a 24-year-old farmer, and he'd come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he was so full of enthusiasm because of his new faith that he, he got a truck, and uh, he filled the truck with people, and he took them to a meeting um, to hear about Jesus. There was an evangelist called Mordecai Ham who was preaching in Charlotte, um, in North Carolina. And there was one particularly good-looking farmer's son whom he especially wanted to get to the meeting, but the young man was rather hard to persuade because he was always falling in and out of love with different girls, and he didn't seem to be very attracted by Christianity. Eventually, however, Albert McMakin had a, hu a great idea. He managed to persuade him to come by asking him to drive the truck he said, will you drive the truck? So this handsome young man drove the truck. And when they arrived at the meeting, Albert's guest decided to go in. He, and he was absolutely spellbound by what he heard. And he went back again and again because he drove the truck each night to take the people. And eventually one night he went forward and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. That man, the driver of the truck, was Billy Graham. We've probably all heard of Billy Graham. The year was 1934, and since 1934, Billy Graham has led literally thousands and thousands of people to Jesus Christ. So we can't all be like Billy, 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 Billy Graham, but we can all be like Albert McMakin. We can introduce people to Jesus Christ and bring our friends to Jesus Christ. Now... Um, 
one, one of the ways that we can do that, to do, to do that, is to invite people to things where they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. And it's really that that I want to speak about this morning. I want to spend some time with you about uh, inviting people, because I know how hard it is to invite people. I struggle to invite people, and we, we're going to have this, uh, are we calling it a, a mission, or an events week? Events week. We're going, to, we're going to have an events week where we'll have all sorts of very exciting events, and I hope as I chat to you, we'll, some more events will bubble up from you, and you think, oh, well, we could do that. Um, and to, for this events week, we need to be inviting people to come to the events week. Now, a few years ago, I met a wonderful chap called Lawrence Singlehurst. Some of you will know him. He's written a very good little book on mission in Britain called Sowing, Reaping, and Keeping. I think I chatted to you a little bit about this at the weekend. Uh, and it's the idea that if you're going to reap, you have to sow. Um, and then you have to keep what, is, what you reap. And, in fact, my sister-in-law, who is a... She's actually the British golf champion. It's amazing. Oh, the over-50s. She's my wife's sister. And she has a little house in Ealing. She's a great gardener, and she has on her garden shed sow, wait, harvest. So you have to sow, then you wait, then you harvest. And it's like that with with people, actually. You have to sow, then you have to wait, and then you harvest. And what Lawrence Singlehurst says in his book is that the kind of people that we're in touch with they have two fundamentally wrong ideas in their minds, which we have to overcome before we can even tell them about Jesus Christ. And the two wrong ideas that they've got in their heads are, one is God is not good. Lots of people think God is not good. They think he's, he's a killjoy. They think he's out to get them. If they've suffered in their lives, they think God has dealt them a a, a rotten hand that's one wrong idea because God is good God loves people he passionately loves people and the other wrong idea that they have in their mind is that Christians are weird now we are a little bit weird <laughs> but, but we're not that weird and you know a lot of people think that to be a Christian you've got to become really weird and what Lawrence said to us at St. Mike's when we got him to teach us about this, he said, you've got to, first of all, convince people that God is good and that Christians are okay. So we came up with this little thing called Gigawalk. We had all our cell groups had Gigawalk, which was God is good and, Chris, and we are okay. Because once people begin to realize... Now, some of the events that we will have during the... Events week will be to show people that we are okay. We're going to have a Kaylee, a great Kaylee, and we won't be at that preaching a great big strong gospel. We'll be showing our friends that we're okay, that we're fun, we're fun to be with, and that will help a lot of people move along the journey. And uh, the, but there will be some meetings where we we will go a bit further than that. I think. 
Tim has come up with this wonderful one chili, two chili, three chili events. Is that right, Tim? Is that an original? Oh, so well, it's a great idea. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a fiver for that one, Tim. So, um, so what I want to do now is just chat to you about how we can go about inviting people. And uh, I want to talk to you about some of the problems that we have about inviting. And then I've got a little handout which I want to give you about um, parish missions. So, let's have a look. Now, can I say that this is not original stuff. I'd love to say it was. Um, I've been helped a lot by a man called Michael Harvey, who has developed the Back to Church Sunday campaign, which God has greatly used in this this country and in abroad as well. So I I want to talk about how we can develop um, a, a, a culture of invitation. Now, the first thing uh, we need to start with is, um, uh, can I just, before we look at this, can I just chat, just chat together uh, in pairs. Most, I I don't know when you last invited somebody to church. Maybe you're an inveterate inviter like me. I, I invite people all the time. Most of them don't come, but I invite, I'm always inviting, but... I wonder when you last invited somebody to something here at St. Michael's Chester Square. I'd like you just to chat in pairs for one minute or two minutes why we find it so difficult to invite people to either to church or to something that church is doing. Be as honest as you can be. Off you go, just for two minutes. Great. Okay. Well, I'd just be interested. What's to, what are the things that make it so difficult for us to invite people? Charles, would you like? Charles said something very wise. Charles, tell us what you said to me. Um, I think you've got to be honest about the invitation. You've got to be clear whether it's a one chili, two chili, or three chili. <laughs>
So we must be honest, what we're inviting people to. That's very good. Not get them there under false pretenses. Anything else? Yes. Yeah. Will they actually what become a Christian? Often they don't, do they? Or they, yeah, yeah. So that's a fear, um, th- though. That's not up to us, actually. Which is, yeah. What's another fear that we have? Yes. Yeah. So we're. So weird. Yeah. So what we do is so weird for them, they, would, they wouldn't, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yes. 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 And even young people make people sit up. If they come to a place where there are young people, they think, ooh, something different about this. What's the biggest fear? That they won't like us. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think, is our biggest fear, is the fear of rejection, that we will be rejected. Either that they'll reject us if they come afterwards and we've got to live... Or that they won't, they'll just turn us down flat. And, and that's a fear for us. And also there's a bit of shame. I think sometimes we're a bit ashamed of, you know, what we do. And it's okay when we know aunt so-and-so, because she's one of the family. It's like, you know, in your family, you, you don't, you, that's just, that's granny or grandpa. He's a bit weird, grandpa, but we all love him. And, and in the church family, we all love each other. And... But we can be a bit embarrassed, can't we? There's a sort of a shame factor. Or that people won't be interested. Now, there's some very interesting research that's just come out, Barna Research. They, they interviewed, now this is really up-to-date, brand new stuff. They interviewed 3,000 non-Christians and they asked the 3,000 non-Christians whether they knew an, what they called an active Christian. They nearly all knew an act. This was a Christian who went to church and talked, you know, knew Jesus Christ and had a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just a person who called themselves a Christian. They nearly all knew an active Christian. They nearly all liked the Christians. That amazed me in this research. And... One in five of them wanted to be invited. They were actually wanting somebody to invite them. So they weren't all again. Now, if you think for a minute of all the people you know, if you thought one in five of those people who know me are actually interested, they're the ones we've got to find. A lot won't be interested. They'll be friends with us, but they won't be interested. So we, we need to so let's get going and then we'll talk about this developing a culture of invitation. First of all, vision. Um, now we, we need to have a vision. If we all had a vision, just think of St. Michael's Chester Square. 
if we had this vision that if every one of us, not just leaving it up to the clergy or the professionals, but if every one of us invited a friend and they accepted our invitation, then we will double the size of our congregation. Now, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be exciting to double the size of this congregation? Wouldn't you love to do that? The little church I'm in now, Ursula and I, we're now nearly getting 50 on a Sunday. We're really excited. It's a new, it's a new line we're crossing. Then it'll be 70, and then we'll get, you know, up to 100. You know, that's how it works, isn't it? But let's start with the vision. So the vision is to get every one of us inviting people, and then if they accept it. Now, can I say, if they accept or not is not up to you. That's not your problem. If they say no, or they say they're going to come and they don't come, that is not your responsibility. That's God's. And where we go wrong on this is we've all had the experience of inviting people and they've turned us down. I have been turned down so many times, hundreds of times, but I've caught some. Because I've stopped, I don't, I, don't, I don't get discouraged. If they turn me down, I sort of expect it. Because of the sower. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Only one in four of the soils responded, didn't they? So I don't expect everybody to respond. I want everybody to respond, but I don't expect that. And that's God's part. My part is to invite. It's God's part whether they come. I, I really want to flag that up. So, so don't give up or get discouraged if you've invited somebody and they don't come. You're not a failure. Secondly, I as a church leader am going to invite someone, will you? Now I find this is really powerful. You know, in the churches I've worked in, I always say, I'm going to invite somebody, will you as well? And I give our congregation a little line which... uh, um, which has worked, I say, blame the vicar. So what you need, I say to the, that's St. Mike's, I used to say, tell the people you're inviting that the vicar has told us all that we've got to invite somebody. Will you be my guest? I find that's a really good line. So if you find it difficult yourself, blame Charles or Tim. Charles has told us that we've all got to invite our vicar told us we've all got to invite, and I need to have a guest. Will you come and be my guest? And then I also work it around that way for me as the vicar, so that when I say to, I say to people, oh, I've told everybody in our church that we've got to invite somebody, will you come and be my guest? So that's the second little hint. I, as a church leader, am going to invite someone. So we have to take the lead as leaders. If we're in a, a cell group or a home group, we need to be doing it. Thirdly, Make sure that every member has a personal invitation to give to somebody. Now, I usually, um, I usually say I work on a one in three or a one in five principle. If I invite five, I might get one. Maybe it's about four or five, I find. Um, occasionally, it's the other way. We, we, we had a... In, in London, when I was at All Souls, we had David Watson. Some of you will remember David Watson. He came to do a mission in our church at St. Mike's, and I, at, at All Souls. And I'd been talking to All Souls 
about running supper parties. And I said, one of the best ways to reach people is through a supper party or a dinner party. And I'd been on and on at them, and nobody had organized. Nothing had happened. Then this guy, David Watson, comes down from York, and he says to them, and he had this wonderful manner, and uh, uh, he said, now, I think we all ought to organize supper parties. Because he'd come from York, everybody went, oh, what a fantastic idea. So we had 51, suddenly, supper parties organized, because David was coming with a team from York. And there was one supper party in the house next to us. We used to live in Maple Street, and there was the pub, the Yorkshire Grey, and round the corner there was uh, another one of the curates lived. And we had a big room there where we had lots of meetings, and we had a supper, and we invited 27 people. And 27 people turned up. I couldn't believe it, because that never happens. And I got there, and we, w- the way we did the supper parties, and I want to throw this out because it's a great way to reach people. It doesn't work so well in Middlesbrough, or Doncaster. I've tried supper parties in the north, but or Barrow in Furness. We have to do different types of meetings, but I think it would work very well in London. We, we open our flat, we invite everybody for a meal, a good meal, and the first part of the evening is what I call the welcome, where you chat and have a drink, and it's very social. But, you, but everybody who comes to the supper knows that there's going to be either a discussion or a talk. Exactly what Charles is saying. So we, we would often put on the invitation, come for supper, and there'll be a discussion about... And you can choose whatever subject you want. Um, we, one that we used to do a lot is, is Christianity relevant today? That's quite low-key. Um, uh, a discussion about the meaning of life. We're going to have a discussion about the meaning and purpose of life. So something low-key, not something too in your face. Uh, you could do God and science. A lot of people are interested in that. Or one of the meetings that we did in Prague, which a lot of people came to, was the one on how can you believe in a God of love when there's so much suffering. That keeps coming up. Or we did another one in Prague on other religions. What, you know, what do we say about other religions? Because people are interested in that. So you come up with a title. So you have supper, uh, 40 minutes or so for supper. Then you get everybody together. And then you have your input. Now, I'm going to bring a team of people with me from York. And I've got, I'm lining up some really interesting people. I've... I've got a chap who planned the Falklands invasion. Uh, Maggie got into He was converted in this church. And he's a, a most amazing guy. He's like a great big bear of a guy. He's a retired uh, brigadier, and he speaks Nepali and, you know, lived in the desert and fought the communists in, in Indonesia. He's an amazing bloke. And he came to faith. Uh, David Watson was preaching here, and he... And he's a wonderful soldier for Jesus Christ. And I've, and I've got other people. I've got an evangelist with me, a lady who comes from London. She's a real Londoner, uh, but she lives in York. I met her at the Royal Academy of Music. And she is incredibly effective with uh, people from other cultures. So she runs these cafes in, in York. And she's coming. She's a very good speaker. 
I've got, a, I've got a converted alcoholic guy who I take with me who you wouldn't know that. He's, he was a jazz musician on the cruise liners and he basically was going to kill himself and he's come to Christ and he's so powerful. His testimony, I take him with me to Barrow in Furness and Cleck Eaton and he's, he's got the right lingo, you know. And, uh, and I'm going to bring one or two others as well. Um, so we will have a team, basically, and we, we, we will be ready to speak for five minutes and then answer questions and lead a discussion. Um, so we then have, a, after the talk, the talks are usually about five minutes, uh, seven minutes, a little bit of testimony, a bit of story about how Jesus has changed our life. Then we open it up and we say, would you like to ask any questions? You can ask anything. There's usually 20 seconds of silence, which feels like an eternity. And then the questions start coming out. And then we usually have a discussion for 30 minutes or so. Then we bring in the coffee and we, everybody gets up to get a coffee. And then we just chat informally. Now, we could do that. That's, we could have a few meetings like that. Because you've got uh, home groups, haven't you? I mean, wouldn't... And you could build it round... Uh, you could have an Indian theme or a Chinese theme or a Mars... One group had a Mars bar party. I mean, you do anything you want. You know, fly, fly with your imagination with food. Food and, food and drink is the great thing. So make sure everybody... And that's a... That's, I would call that a, a, a two-chilly event. It's not a three-chilly event. It's, it's a discussion, but... Hopefully, then some will come on to the services on the Sunday. Fourthly, teach about how God connects people through friendship. Um, and, and, and it's the power of friendship. So God gives us the gift of friendship. And so we need to be all the time making friends with those outside the church. Then, fifthly, the power of your story to re-remember who invited you. Now, just in pairs for a, a minute or two. Just chat about the person who first invited you to something. Would you like to just do that in pairs for a minute or two?
Great. Okay, well, we won't share back on that, but let's just, I want to hurry on because I'm going to run out of time. So the power of your story. So re-remember who invited you. Um, sixthly, ask the question, who has God been preparing? Now, amongst your friends and people that you know, there will be certain people that you particularly will be very, very key for. Uh, in the jargon, uh, it, they're called people of peace. You look for a person of peace. Now, can I say, I don't know whether I said this at the weekend, but I have learned that people of peace for me are people who like me and who I like. Now, I used to think that everybody liked me, but they don't, and uh, I've had to come to terms with that. And uh, there are certain people that I get on very well with. I just click with them, and they click with me. And there are certain people I don't get on particularly well with, and I have to accept that. That's okay. They're probably not people of peace for me. So the people that God uses me to help are people that I particularly... Now, that doesn't stop me from... I share the gospel with anyone, but I know that in terms of friendship, there's, there's, there's going to be some chemistry there between me and them. I think I told you that I, I seem to have a penchant for millionaires. <laughs> Get on well with them. So if you can introduce me to a few of those, Charles. Um, then, sixthly, or seventhly, practice the question, would you like to come to church with me? Or, because we're going to have this events week, It'll be an event. It might be, would you like to come to a barn dance with me? Now, I'd like you just to do that so you get used to that getting it coming out of your mouth. So just turn to the next person and practice that saying that so you get used to it. Could you just do that now? Okay, so I just said to Charles, would you like to come to a Chinese meal with me, Charles? And he said, no, I hate Chinese. <laughs> and he said, I'd like to come to a smart dinner with you, Roger, at the Carlton Club. <laughs> so, I think, so what that shows me is you've got to choose your event. Choose your event carefully. I mean, I'm not going to be inviting Charles to a Chinese meal because he doesn't like Chinese. So, in other words, think, you need to think carefully and then practice the question. Next, uh, you need to pray for courage to invite and for those that you have, are inviting. Now, you've, just got to, you've got to just be courageous on this. People think that if you put a leaflet through a door... Uh, when we were at Prague, people at the Christian Union thought that we would, by handing out leaflets, people would m magically arrive at meetings. They don't. Publicity very rarely brings people. People bring people. All that publicity does is it's wallpaper. It just gives you background. So um, you, you've, got to, you've got to take courage and you've got to invite them. And if they say no, that's okay. That's all right. 
Keith DeBerry used to say, it's not a failure if we invite people and they don't come. It's only a failure if we don't invite them. And if they say no, that's okay, you carry on loving them. What's the worst that can happen to you if you invite them? The worst thing is that they can say no. Well, that's okay. Still alive. I have to do that. When I give an appeal and I say, will you come to Christ, what's the worst thing that can happen? It's happened to me quite a few times. Nobody responds. Well, I'm still alive. Still here. I haven't stopped encouraging people to come to Jesus many times. I went to do one mission. Not a single person responded. It's okay. I'm still alive. Somebody became a Christian after I'd gone. <laughs> well, that's good because that just shows it's all God, doesn't it? It's nothing to do. Well, it is God uses us. But. So uh, pray for courage. Next, make the invitation. Uh, so you've actually got to make the invitation. Uh, and be prepared for surprises. So often i found, I think, oh, so-and-so will come. And they don't. Oh, he'll never come. He's just not the type. And they do. Uh, I have this little principle called the duvet principle. You know where you sit on a duvet and then a bit pops up. I've prayed for Tim, uh, not for Tim, but for Tom. I've prayed for Tom, and then Bill gets converted. It's a mystery. It is a great mystery about why some people respond and others don't. But that's all part of God's plan, not mine. So be prepared for surprises. Unlikely people say yes. Tenth. Go and pick up your invited guest or meet them. I think that's really important. Um, most people struggle to go into a place where they don't know people. I, I don't know how you felt when you first... I often... It's interesting, when I go to churches, I often wait to see if anybody does actually chat to me. It's amazing how often nobody does. In a church, you'd think people would. So... If we're inviting people, it's good. Now, I know in London you probably can't go and bring them, but you could say, well, let me, I will meet you and then we'll go together. It just gives them that little bit of extra courage. Um, and then when you get to the whatever it is, if it, you, you can then introduce them to your friends over the food and coffee. And if you're having these supper parties, and I hope you will, then it's good to give them something to drink and something to eat pretty quickly because there's nothing like once they've got some food they get chatting and it relaxes don't have grace by the way at the meal you know you just give them food um i think that's very important so have the food ready as soon as they come so as soon as they get there here's a drink they've got something to hold then and uh, here's some food and then very quickly people start chatting and then the last thing I've put down is assume that they're coming back again and invite them. We want to then, we tried to do what are called daisy chain. We invite people to another thing. So I was in a golf club on Wednesday speaking to a bunch of people in Beverly, which is just outside York. And we're already going to invite them on to the next thing, which is mulled wine and some carols. And uh, we're going to have a discussion about the meaning of Christmas. So we've already got something to bring them on to. Now, do you want to ask me any questions about that before I rattle through?
Right, okay. So I'm going to just... Yes? I suppose it depends how many carol services they've been to where they have been put on the spot. And um, some of them, if they've been to those and they're not ready for that, they're probably a bit wary. Uh, but there are a lot of people, I think, they just want to come and sing carols. But we do want to give the message to them, but we don't want to pressurize them. So you could say to them, nobody will try to convert you. If you feel that they're thinking that, then bring it out. Say, nobody's going to try and convert you. There will be a message. It'll be uh, direct, and, but nobody's going to put you on the spot. I think, cause people, I think some evangelism puts people on the spot in a way that's unhealthy and uh, too pressured. And I, you know, we've all been to things like that what I call high cringe factor meetings. I've been to lots of those. Yes, yeah. so I'm, doing, I'm doing the carol service. It'll be a one chilly, two chilly event. So I won't be asking people to get up out of their seats or anything like that. But there will be hopefully a, a clear message with a bit of humor and, and then I'll let, leave it with people. Is that all right? Well, you didn't want it to be a three chilly event, did you? No. Would you like to pass these out? Now, um, I've got t 10 minutes, and then I'm going to stop. Then we're going to have coffee. This is a, a little paper that I used to work with an old evangelist called Keith DeBerry. Some of you will remember. Do you remember? Betty was here. Betty. Oh, Betty was here. Great. And I learned so much from Keith. Um, I went all over with him doing parish missions and we came up with this um, paper where well, he came up with it and I've addended it slightly. So I'm just going to rattle through. With, so you've all got one. Have you all got one? Wave it. If you haven't, put your hand up. Some more. Uh, I think that's it, I'm afraid. If you haven't got one, can you look over somebody's? Uh, oh, here's, here's another one. Two. All right. Just very quickly. Um, some of this I've covered. Before the mission, these are questions that we need to ask. Has the church got a good fringe of non-churchgoers? Now, I always distinguish between the institutional fringe and the personal fringe. The institutional fringe are the people who are relate to the church as an institution, marriages, funerals, and baptisms, particularly in our little parish, baptisms. We make a lot of contacts through baptisms. Often they don't come to very much, but we're in touch with people. Are there people? And then the personal fringe are the friends of the members of the church, Secondly, have a clear aim. Who are we aiming to reach? Children, teenagers, adults. Now, can I say that if you want to do something, because I can bring people, gifted people, from York who are gifted in all sorts of areas. So if you wanted to do an event for children and families with a 
I know you do wonderful things here, and I, I don't want to teach any of you to suck eggs because I know that you, you know a lot about this stuff. If, you, if there was an event that you wanted to do specifically aimed at families and children, I could bring people. If you give me warning, I can bring people who are very good with children and families. You know, they, they're, they're sort of those, those kind of people, you know, who are, who are... And it's often good if you've got somebody coming in from outside. So let me know. Teenagers, if you want to do something specially for teenagers, let me know. I can bring in someone who works with teenagers. Adults, obviously we will be working a lot with adults. And if there was a group, a particular group, suppose, for example, this girl who works with internationals, if, they, if you wanted to do target the internationals, she's the one to bring, because she does it all the time. And, uh, and or if you've got a bunch of lawyers, you know, or doctors, I don't know, think of network, think network, who are your networks? Sports, if you've got some sports, now, I'm, I, I'll talk to uh, Tim and Charles about this, but again, we can find people who will speak the language to those people. people. If you let us know, you've got to let us know, though. The aim of the parish mission is to bring people to a living experience of Christ, to revive the faith of church members, and to reach the fringes and outsiders known to the members. It is aimed at the non-Christian or the lapsed Christian who, is in some way, who are in some way friends of the church members or loosely connected with the parish. It's not a happy get-together for Christians. It's not a recruitment drive to swell the number of church members. It's not a fundraiser for the church. The emphasis in all the meetings and services must be on bringing guests and introducing them to Jesus Christ. So that's the purpose. A simple strategy, we usually work on three levels they come to us, so we'll have lots of meetings where they come to us. We go to them. I would love to explore with you how we can do that. We're, we're trying to do that more and more up in the north because the churches do not have big fringes. A lot of them, they're diminishing. So we'd, we do quite exciting. We've done pop-up cafes. I was in Sheffield. We had 200 meetings in Sheffield just a few weeks ago. We took all the bishops from the north with Sentamu. And the, I was in one of the deaneries, and we put up a pop-up cafe in the high street. We had coffee and music, and we were using surveys like the one on the back, um, Soul Search, where we asked people questions just in the street, very low-key. And uh, I got that from um, Campus Crusade about 30 years ago. I still use it. We use it all over the north of England. Very effective. Could we do something like that? Is there? So I know it's... February, it won't be very warm. Just let's think out of the box. Do you know what I mean? And then we can meet halfway in restaurants, pubs. If, if your people would rather come to a, an Indian takeaway, let's have it in an Indian takeaway. If they come to a flat, let's have it in a flat. In other words, who, where would they feel most at home? So they come to us, we go to them, we meet halfway. Prayer, at least three months. And I want to suggest that with the mission coming down, that you step up the prayer, that you have a few, I'm sure you'll do all this, have a half night of prayer and um, prayer groups, prayer nights, uh, prayer cards, etc. So get everybody praying for five people each by name. Pray in little prayer triplets, you know, where you get together in threes and pray for three non-Christians each. Visiting. 
House-to-house visiting with leaflets through letterboxes is not usually very effective or recommended. Personal visiting of friends, acquaintances, neighbours, relations and those who have some contacts through school or baptisms or church. Best basis for bringing people is personal friendship and contact long before the week. It is good, though, to aim to contact everyone. You could do a leaflet drop in the parish to tell everybody what's going on. I think that would be very good because you never know. You might winkle out a few people from some of the air who will come to something. Oh, I'd like to go to that. Um, publicity, prayer card for the church members, a card program. The design should be in the ha- It's all internet now, I know. An overall title is probably best. Non-really- Have we got a title? Are we just calling it Events Week. Events Week. In, we, we, up in the north, we call it Believe In. We did a mission recently called Believe In Hull. Because one little boy said, that's where you go if you don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> and uh, we thought that it would be good that to actually say, no, we believe in Hull. And so we've been using that theme all over the north. Believe in Hull, believe in Borough, Middlesbrough, believe in Barrow and Furness. So it's a double entree. We believe in it as a place because a lot of these places have very low view of themselves, but we also believe in Jesus in Barrow or wherever. Posters, handbills. Remember, publicity will not bring people. People bring people. Training should be offered. The aim of this is to give church members the confidence, um, sharing your faith. We use this soul search I think I, I, I went through all this with you at the weekend, didn't I? I told you, these questions are absolutely fantastic. If you don't know how to talk to people, use these questions on the back. Do you go to church? Many people today no longer go to church. Why do you think this is so? Do you consider yourself to have a belief or faith? What do you think is the greatest problem facing humankind? Do you have any ideas about how it could be solved? In your opinion, who is Jesus Christ? How do you think someone becomes a Christian? Do you have a satisfying purpose in life? Have you ever prayed? We've put down there, do you think God heals today? That's because we were doing it with healing in the streets. If you could know God personally, would you be interested? That is a fantastic question. Yes, we've, we have used that with where we're in, where there are people that we have a relationship with and, and then we, we've used it sometimes to, as a way of getting a bit further in a conversation. You could say something like, we use this in the street, could I show it to you and go through it with you? Uh, sharing your faith, simple apologetics, certain questions, how can God be a God of love with so much suffering in the world? Don't all religions lead to God? Jesus was just a man. What sort of team do you want? Do you want one missioner or several or a team? I think you need to tell me. I can bring people, but I, you know, you just need to guide me. I won't bring too many. Uh, if you can look after, can you put them up? Uh, they'll get here. If you can get them here, they won't charge. They're all like me, and we're enthusiastic amateurs. We're not professionals. Um, What plans do you need to make for them? Oh, let's leave that. Move on. During the mission, aim to have a wide variety of meetings. I've talked a bit about this. So many different types of meetings that you can have. Um, We can... 
you know, we could chat about that over coffee. I did a pet show in, Cle I've never done this before, in Cleckeaton. Have you ever been to Cleckeaton? Bet you've never been to Cleckeaton. You don't want to go there, I tell you. It's a very poor suburb of Bradford, and we got in. The vicar was a very creative guy. He got in some local vets, Christians, and he offered in this area to look at the, at the pets of every child. In the, so the kids all brought their pets. So we had dogs and budgerigars and twig insects and all sorts of cats and bunny rabbits. It was cacophony. And uh, then I got a farmer, a Christian farmer, to the noisiest evangelistic meeting. Oh, we, we gave rosettes to every pet. Every pet got a little rosette. I had to do the, the prizes. And the children bought the parents. So we had about 70 or 80. And prizes were given. One prize was for the dog with the waggiest tail. So every little pet got a prize. And one prize went to the pet that least wanted to be at the pet show, which was a, a little guinea pig that, you know. So be creative. You could do so many. Meetings can be organized around food. Go for a variety of venues, golf clubs, schools, restaurants, home, churches. Have a guest service. We don't call them guest services now. We did a mission quite near here in St. Simon's in Shepherd's Bush, and we called it the Big Breakfast. So everybody, we invited everybody to the big breakfast on the Sunday with, you know, croissants and bacon and, and lively music. And we got a, quite a lot of the parish in. Uh, they wouldn't have come to a guest service, but they came to the big breakfast and we had a gospel message and a, and a testimony. Have leaflets to give out after the mission, run, run follow-up courses for those who've expressed interest. And we often say... It doesn't matter whether they cross over the line at the mission. We want that, but we don't put too much pressure on that or if they join a group and they discover Jesus through the group. Review how the mission meant. Okay, let's stop now. Tim? Roger, thanks so much. Um, just had this moment of inspiration um, I'm sure Charles would agree, a pets, pet service. <laughs> Charles's worst nightmare. <laughs> I don't know how I felt led to that. But of course, the, ca I mean, the timing of this is great because the carol services starting next weekend and the weekend after, just uh, in some ways I think a carol service is about the easiest invite in the year in many ways. And it is a sort of um, one or two chilly event. Um, and so it's a great sort of um, springboard, uh, perhaps a tester for the events week. And uh, I know a number of the home groups are planning to do things as, as home groups, inviting you know, people to tea beforehand or supper afterwards. Um, and so um, I so encourage you to, to do that. Um, you'll notice on the inside of this, this handout there is a, the, the uh, provisional program it's not absolutely finalized, but that's where we're working towards. If, if you're at the prayer meeting earlier on this month, you'll have, uh, you'll have seen all this. But um, just to give you a flavor of what's coming up. And also on your seats was a prayer diary. Um, don't be confused by the normal monthly church prayer diary. This is a prayer diary for uh, the events week. And everything on that green sheet is related to the events week. 
and uh, Iona Thorne has very kindly put this together. Um, so can I encourage you to have, have this stuck in your Bible or the book that's by your bed that you read every day or whatever and uh, to use the prayer diary? Uh, that'd be great. Uh, and also just to flag up that the 5th of January is a day of prayer for the events week. Uh, it's, the, it's the day when we have all together Tuesday, um, but it'll be, there'll be prayer through the day for uh, events week. Um, more of that anon. But it's a coffee break time. Uh, please hang on to the mug if you've got a mug. Uh, you, reuse the same mug. Uh, coffee and tea will be over at the table there, and I think more things to eat. And we'll reconvene in about 15, 20 minutes or so. So, MJ, you're obviously Roger's daughter, but frankly, in these parts, you get much more kudos by being Hepsi's aunt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, MJ, where you're from and um, your experience. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm married to the wonderful guy who is very bravely looking after our two little boys this morning, Jago, who is just five months old, and Charlie, who is um, just turned two. And we have just come over this morning from Oxford, um, where Guy is uh, training uh, to be a vicar. Um, as many people in our family seem to be, um, and uh, he's in his final year of, of three. Great. And you've worked in the past for UCCF. Mm -hmm. Just That's to right. explain, we, so, I think many of us know a bit about that, but what, what was your role there and what, what's, what was the nature of the work? Oh, I loved working with um, students. In fact, Sam and I worked a bit together. He was one of the reps in uh, the Oxford the OIQ, the Oxford Intercollegiate Christian Union. So I was working, resourcing and equipping students to share Jesus with their friends and their peers in um, their college. So I was working in Oxford, but also in West London in Brunel University in Uxbridge, and not far from here. So um, two very, very different worlds. Oxford's very, very intelligent, and Brunel's very, very cool. So um, <laughs> trying to <laughs> sort of took off the, the pashmina as soon as I walked into Brunel campus because it didn't really, it didn't really go down that well there. But um, yeah, so I loved doing that. And prior to that, I was studying apologetics for one year, which hasn't got anything to do with apologizing, although it sounds like it. Um, it was to do with thinking through some of the common objections to the Christian faith, a lot of questions that I had and my friends had about um, potential conflicts that people have before they even consider Jesus Christ. And I studied that in Oxford for a year. Lovely. MJ, thanks so much for coming today, especially with two littlies. Uh, it's great to have you here. And great. over to you. Thank you. Well, it's fantastic to um, be with you this morning. I feel really um, honoured and quite um, humbled, really, because I know lots of people in this room have far more experience in sharing um, the gospel than I do. So what I really want this session to be is a very practical one and one where we can um, share tips and resources with, with one another and, uh, and look at the saltiest person alive, Jesus Christ, and look at one of the examples of how he came alongside two people who were seeking truth and were very perplexed and how he um, opened their eyes and led them to himself. And um, one, of, one of the books that's really helped me in um, thinking through how I go about sharing my faith, because I'm still very much learning this, is um, a book, my dad's mentioned him a few times, Bill Hybels, Becoming a Contagious Christian. Um, I'd, I'd highly recommend this. And uh, he's uh, written this excellent, very practical book rooted in scripture. And he looks at how Jesus describes his followers in two ways. He says 
that they must be salt, the salt of the earth, and that they must be the light of the world. They are the light of the world. And with these two uh, qualities, salt and light, he says that they're to be highly potent, in other words, have very distinctive thirst-making lives and full of flavor, but only when it comes into contact with something. And also to be the light of the world, in other words, have an illuminating quality about them, revealing something to, uh, to show it for what it really is. And he comes up with um, this sort of <laughs> formula, if you like, of how we are to be contagious Christians, have maximum impact. And um, although Jesus never gives us such a formula as this, I, I thought it would be a good way to uh, provoke us into thinking a little bit about how we are going about sharing our faith at the moment. And he says this, to be contagious Christians, we need to have three elements, high potency, close proximity, and clear communication. High potency and close proximity, he says, is the the salty bit, having distinctive lives and being in contact, having close proximity with those who don't yet know Christ, and clear communication of the gospel which is um, the light quality. And my friend's mum, my friend Bella's mum, is absolutely excellent at doing this, at just generating conversations about Jesus Christ. And I asked my friend Bella, how does she do it? She seems to sort of chat to ladies at the tennis club and her neighbours and people she bumps into down the street and at the school gates. How does she do it? And my friend Bella said she has this one question that she asks people, and I said, oh, what what is it? And she said, well, the question is, have you heard the good news about Jesus? (laughs) And I thought, that is so disarming and so simple. I'm going to give it a go. (laughs) And I thought, I don't often come into London, actually, but um, when I was in London the other day, I thought, well, this is actually a brilliant place to try and ask the question because I probably won't, hopefully won't, bump into someone I know so I was on the tube, and, and there was a free seat next to me, and I sort of said to the Lord, I was like, Lord, well, the next person who comes and sits down in the seat next to me, Lord, I'll, I'll ask that question to you. Just, Lord, please give me someone who's, you know, maybe even already a Christian. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> anyway, the doors opened, and in walked this great hulk of a chap who must have been about six foot five and had these enormous headphones on, you know, the ones that kind of go over the head, with loud music sort of pulsating at them he had shorts kind of hanging off his um his legs off his bottom and these huge great big basketball shoes on and he came and sat down next to him and he was terrifyingly cool and I said to the Lord oh Lord anyone else but him and I just felt him go come on you said to me that you'd ask this question so I thought right here goes what's what's dad in my ear what's the worst that can happen he says he says no well tell you what happened I turned around next to him I tapped him on the shoulder because he couldn't hear and he took his headphones off and he said hi yeah and uh, I said terribly sorry which is a terrible way to start and I terribly sorry but have you heard the good news about Jesus trying to make sure no one else heard me ask this question he couldn't hear me he said sorry what what was that and he had to take his headphones off and by this stage everyone's newspapers were lowering and they're looking away from their screens. And I said, well, have you heard the good news about Jesus? And he turned to me and he said, 
no, no, what, what is it? And I thought, oh, no, I wasn't... I hadn't planned for him to say that. And so I quickly sort of said, well, when are you getting off the tube? And he, he said, oh, I'm getting off at Euston. And I looked up, and it was about four or five stops to go. And I calculated I probably had about eight minutes or so to tell him somehow the good news about Jesus. And I sort of rambled my way through trying to make sure I got all the different points in completely sort of dispassionately just giving him <laughs> the gospel in a, in a very succinct way, as succinct as I could. And he sort of turned to me and he said, now, that sounds a little bit like that Jesus film that my nan got me to watch when I was a little boy. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Maybe you should go away and watch it again. He said, yeah, all right, oh, thanks very much. And he went off. Anyway, I thought, that is an absolutely terrible <laughs> example of how to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. I don't know if I had particularly high potency. I was definitely in close proximity with him, but my clear communication was absolutely nil. And I think what I learned from that experience was that people are more open and more willing to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ than we are ready and prepared to tell them about. I lacked quite a few of, uh, of, of the uh, things that Bill Hybel says that we need to have. And he goes on to um, describe it like this. Sometimes as Christians, uh, he says, and excuse some of the uh, uh, slightly more Americanisms here, he says, we're flirting with funny arithmetic. He says, we're trying to get that new math to work. They say, I'm going to figure out a way to make high potency and low proximity add up to maximum impact. But they can't succeed because they remain isolated from the very people they need to touch. And others say, I'll have all the proximity you can imagine. I'll run with those crowds so much that I'll become indistinguishable, and then I'll have maximum impact. No, you won't, not until you have distinctiveness, potency, and savor. Many more people try to conclude the matter by saying, okay, I'll get my savor factor up high by living a consistent Christian life, and then I'll exert the needed efforts to get into influence range with the people I'd like to reach. But please don't ask me to actually say anything. I'll just live out my faith in front of them, and maybe some of it will begin to rub off. As time will prove, however, that's only wishful thinking. Just as words without actions are futile, actions without words are devoid of meaning and content. Can you see why Jesus emphasized we need to be both salt and light it's critical we have a high savor factor and a readiness to articulate the message of Christ. Now, what I want you to do is just to turn in pairs and ask the person next to you, what do you think about Bill Hybel's statement that we need to have this high potency, high, close proximity, and clear communication? What do you find the hardest thing to do out of those, and, and why do you think that is? So just turn in pairs and chat for a few minutes about that.
Okay, I'll just pause you there for a second. What I'd love um, to do is, by a show of hands, and then don't we all struggle in one of these different areas, so, um, or at least one. I'd love to see how many of you would say that clear communication you find to be the hardest bit in having maximum impact as a Christian. Clear communication. Okay, interesting. And why, why is that? What are some of the things that you noticed that you said? Mm-hmm. Yes, let me repeat what... Yeah, so Lucy just said, afraid of being cringy in what you say and not knowing how much to say, maybe just giving a little teaser, but not knowing um, how far to go. And anything else on that clear communication? What do we find difficult? Yes. Uh, and no time is all the answer when it's coming on Sunday. Yes. You're there in the queue. Yes. Is that Alex? Alex has just said that sometimes we don't know how to answer the difficult questions if they come back with a hard question. Oh, how am I going to answer that and, uh, and, and help point them in the right direction? Yeah. Out of interest, how many felt that close proximity um, was something that they found the hardest thing to do? That I have to say, for me, that is definitely the hardest thing. In, in living in a Christian community, it can be very easy. And any other thoughts on that? Why, why is that hard for us sometimes? Mm-hmm. That's helpful. So, I, what's your name? Emily was just saying it's the balance between proximity and potency. How far down the line do we um, integrate uh, in the lives of our non-Christian friends so much that we, we don't lose our savor factor, our potency in living for Jesus? Yeah. Uh, Charles and I were hmm. saying as two vicars that uh, we find it difficult because we're so exhausted. Yeah. He's so, exhausted. No, yeah. I'm, I'm not exhausted now. Having the emotional energy mm. to then develop more relationships yes. is, you know, if you're if you're carrying a lot, yes. it's quite difficult to do. Yes, that. yeah, yeah. So not having the emotional energy, yeah, or time to really invest in in friendships. It feels like a lot of these people are inviting. Oh, do I really have enough of a friendship to to invite them? Um, and then there's high potency, and that's that's. Um, that comes from spending time with, with our Lord, doesn't it? And, and living for him and living, um, living in the light of knowing, knowing Jesus. That's also um, something each of us need to be held accountable to with one another and challenged about. Well, let's look at, we're going to spend time in Luke 24. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn it open? We're going to look at just one example of how Jesus comes al- alongside uh, two followers of his, or 
two people who are seeking truth, and to glean from him a few pearls of wisdom as to how we go and tell. So Sam's going to come and read Luke 24 from verse 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here, happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Brilliant. Thanks, Sam. Well, we're going to um, uh, look very practically at how Jesus uh, introduces and opens um, Cleopas and the other disciples' eyes and um, reveals to them that he really is the Messiah who was um, promised. And the first thing, there's four little points I want us to draw out from this, and then we'll very practically think through how we apply that to um, the run-up to Events Week and, and beyond. The first thing that we notice about what Jesus does on this first, this Easter morning, is that Jesus, if you notice in verse uh, 14, comes alongside them. They were talking, verse 14, with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And uh, the the first point is this. Jesus is interested in them. Jesus is interested 
in them. And he does this in two ways. You notice the first thing in verse 15, he comes alongside them. He comes up to them and he walks along with them. They don't know who he is yet. They think he's just a stranger. And the second thing he does, he comes up, walks alongside them, carries on walking with them on their journey. Second thing he does is he asks two very simple questions. Do you notice verse 17? He says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And he reiterates it again in verse 19. Do you notice verse 19? He says, what things, what things are going on? Now, the question that got me thinking about this passage, because we probably know this passage quite well, is, is this, and I want you to ask the person next to you this. Jesus asks a question that he jolly well knows the answer to. <laughs> He's right at the center of these events. Now, why on earth would Jesus ask a question that he knows the answer to? Just turn to the person next to you and just chat about that. Okay, I'll pause you there because I'm sure there's more we could discuss. What, what sort of things came out of that? Why does Jesus ask them a question that he is at the center of the answer to? I'm sure there's lots of different reasons why, but what? see their level of understanding, yeah, what's going on, yeah. Anything else? Engage in a dialogue. Yes. Get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets them to articulate what's on their mind. In, in Jesus' case, he does know what's going on. We don't necessarily know unless we get a direct word from the Lord um, about it. Yeah. To get their attention. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That question will make something come alive in them as well. Now, I, I think this is brilliant because as um, I think my dad's sort of said already that asking questions not only gives us information in the form of an answer, helps increase our knowledge, but it helps the seeker articulate some of their objections and notice some of their misunderstandings of the gospel. Did you notice when they described what had taken place that weekend, there are clearly misunderstandings about what Jesus had done, what, what had happened to Jesus Christ. Do you, know, do you notice, what, what do they think Jesus had come to do? What do they think that, uh, what was going on? Well, verse 21 says this, we had hoped, this is their misunderstanding, misconception about Jesus Christ. We had hoped, verse 21, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel politically, a political ruler. And what is more, it's the third day. And these women gone to the tomb, but verse 23, they didn't find his body. But they didn't see him in verse 24. They are very confused. They're very perplexed. They're seeking truth, and they don't know what's going on. Now, here's 
a question to help us think about how does this relate to us. What questions can we ask to help seekers articulate some of their objections or unspoken hopes about connecting with God? Let me ask that again. What questions can we ask to help seekers articulate their objections or their unspoken hopes about connecting with, with God? Okay, so back in those uh, pairs or threes, what questions have you asked or could you ask um, to help seekers articulate their objections or unspoken hopes? Okay, I'll pause you there. This is hopefully to, let's just pause this conversation. This is hopefully to pool our resources because I'm sure there are some questions that people use which are absolute gold dust that um, we might not be the sort of person who will ask the question, have you heard the good news about Jesus? But there might be another question here that um, the Lord could, could give us to ask around. So what sort of questions have we found that have been good or could we use? Where do you find your hope? Did you all hear that? So some people's experience, their um, understanding of God is related to their experience of Christian services or chapel or assemblies growing up. And uh, a great way to start it is I, I used to find um, chapel at school or assemblies rather boring, did, did you, and, and opening it up. So bringing that objection out into the open and being a great leveler, that's a great way. Yeah. Any which I yeah. got from the survey is, because I use it all the time, in your, in your opinion, who do you think Jesus is? Because mm. it gets them to articulate mm. who they think he is, mm -hmm. which uh, helps me a lot then to understand where they're at. Mm. In your opinion, who do you think Jesus is? Yeah, yeah, another one. <coughs> what makes you tick? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're very good questions. What motivates you at work? How do you express gratitude? Uh, how do you appreciate? How how do you appreciate receiving? <laughs> Sorry, I missed the last question. 
Your love language. I, I use that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Love languages. So often getting people to talk about ways that they give and receive love and affirmation, not just in a, a kind of romantic relationship, but in any form of relationship. That's a great way of getting people to open, open up and think about things. Another question? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 What do you think is the greatest problem facing humankind today? Brilliant question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant question. Um, if you don't feel like any of those questions really fit, why don't you take the time out to ask the Lord? One thing I try and do each term or so is to ask the Lord for a particular question that suits me, the way God's made me, that I could ask people. And I'm, <laughs> I'm an ENFP, if you know about Myers-Briggs, and so I quite like asking direct questions. And one of the questions I've had recently is, um, what would it take for God to convince you that he is alive and knowable and passionate about a personal relationship with you. And I've used that a number of times with a variety of different people and had all sorts of responses. One girl I asked, asked that question, she burst into tears, which wasn't the response I was expecting, but it really opened up a great conversation about um, uh, her struggles with um, seeing her sister who's got cerebral palsy suffer, suffer and wanting to know if there's really a God out there. So ask the Lord, a say, Lord, please give me a question that would suit me. It might be a very one chilly question. It might be a three chilly one. And ask, ask him to give you some. And another question is, if God could do one thing for you, what would it be? Or is that something you've always believed? I like to ask that to find out if it's something. Oh, is that people make statements about the Christian faith quite flippantly. And I say, oh, is that something you've always believed? Or is that a conclusion you came to more recently? Tell me how you came to that conclusion. And you're helping them articulate their objections or misunderstandings about the Lord. When was the last time you prayed? Can I pray for you about this? Right, let's move on quickly because we, we're running out of time. Yes. What would it be? Is that something you've always believed? Is that, is that a conclusion? You, you can ask it in such a way it's very innocent. But people will, you know, say something very oh, all religions are the same, and it's very easy to go, oh, yeah, 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 and not know how to say, well, actually, and say, oh, is that something, how did you come to that conclusion yourself, and just ask them. The second thing Jesus does, so that's the first thing, he's interested in them, he asks them a very simple question, opens up conversation, he's interested in them, he walks alongside them. The second thing he does, and we'll just quickly look at this, is he challenges their misconceptions about God's word. Notice what he does in verse 25 to 27. He challenges them. He says to them, after they give an account of what's happened these last few days, he says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, he isn't afraid to tell them that they're wrong. And he turns their understanding completely upside down. They think, why did Jesus suffer? He says, no, he had to suffer. And he uses their authority, their scriptures that they, they'd read since they were a child. 
and he shows them from scripture how their understanding was misguided. Often we're so afraid of offending people that we, we, we don't correct their misunderstanding about the Christian faith. Now, if Jesus didn't want to offend these guys, they'd never have had their eyes opened. They, he'd, they'd have never invited him to stay with them for the evening, and then we'd never know the way to the Father if Jesus hadn't come and corrected our misunderstandings about himself and the way to know his Father. And the interesting thing about these guys is they are seeking. They want to know truth. Sometimes we're so afraid to correct because we think, oh, they're not really interested. But they do want to know. They are interested. They're, they're forlorn. They want to know what, what's happened. They've got uh, downcast faces. He is actually encouraging them. So we can throw out salty, even provocative statements to help seekers. How can we do this? What in scripture, I'll just give us 30 seconds again, what in scripture can we use to affirm people's suspicions about the way the world is and why? What in scripture could we use to affirm people's suspicions about the way the world is and why? So just 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you and talk about how you can do that. So, sorry, the question is, Jesus uses scripture to correct their misunderstandings and affirm them, actually. He uses it to encourage them because they're seeking truth. How can we use scripture to correct people's misunderstandings and affirm their suspicions about the way the world is, that there is more to life than this? How can we use scripture to do that? Okay, I'll just pause you there. Have people got any examples of how they've used scripture or biblical principles to biblical truths to correct and affirm people's suspicions about the way the world is? Interesting. Yes, go for it. Yes. 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 Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. So Romans 7, when Paul says, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, I do. That sort of existential angst or tension that we have where we see this ideal that we want to reach, but yet we keep failing it. Why? Why is that? So saying, well, that's exactly how (laughs) the apostle Paul felt, and that's exactly how I felt. That is a normal part of, of, of life. That's the way the world is. Yeah. Anything else? 
Yes, yep, so people really struggle with the problem of evil and they look at it all around and to be able to say, well, <laughs> you know, Jesus actually said that the problem is not out there, it's, it's, it's in here and it's what comes out of each one of us that, that produces all these um, this sort of uh, evil in the world, yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, so Ecclesiastes 3, did you all hear what Trisha said? Um, the, um, God has set eternity in, in the human heart, and a lot of people can connect with that, that we're, we, we feel like we're made for more than, more than this world. Tim Keller very interestingly said to us at this last um, events week we had in Oxford, he said, use the Bible to affirm people's presuppositions about the world and use their prophets to um, break them down. So instead of using the Bible to break down their worldview, use the Bible to affirm their existing worldview and their own prophets to break their current worldview down. Does that make sense? So, so for example, um, let me think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I should have an example of my solution though when I say something like that. Um, Go on. Go on. Go on. <laughs> yes, yeah. And that's quite a good way in when you're talking about death and what's going to happen. Yes, yeah. Talk about the, the, act, the existential angst about Yes, yeah. Or yeah. the football thing of uh, football is, is not a matter of life and death, it's mm. far more important than that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my dad was saying, Woody Allen, Woody Allen was saying, on the question of death, um, I do believe in, it's not that I'm afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Um, Great, well, just a very little example of this. A a single mum friend that I've made in the local playground um, is, she's an amazing woman, I think. How do you bring up children on your own? I think that's jolly hard it's hard enough when you've got um a husband who's around but it's very hard and she was just telling me how her daughter had been having these terrible hissy fits and temper tantrums and she just lost her cool with her daughter and they just had to get out of the house and she said she was pretty much very close to wanting to throw her down the stairs and I I said to her you know (laughs) I had a whole term like that with Charlie (laughs) that was somewhere I just felt like you know, if he has one more tantrum, I, I think I'm going to shut the door and just walk away because this is just too difficult. And she, uh, she, she said to me what was going on as if no one else struggled with it. She, she felt so ashamed that she'd felt like that towards her own child um, that uh, she was almost just too ashamed to say it. And I, I said, you know, I, I also struggle with um, exactly the same things. And, and in fact... 
Um, I, I believe the Bible when it says that we're, we're all broken, that we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We're all like this, actually. We're all broken inside. We've all got anger issues and we need sorting. And we all need fixing. And I was feeding Jago at the time on a bench and she was pushing Sadie on the swing. And she was sort of chatting across about 20 yards between the swing and the bench. And she left Sadie just swinging in the swing and came over to me and she said, you know, I really believe that. I really believe that we all need to be healed, was her words. And I said, you're, you're completely right. You're completely right. In fact, and then we were able to have this brilliant... We, only, we didn't get much further than that, and the conversation's been carried on. But we said it's funny how we're often too afraid to admit how angry we get to one another, and we're meant for community and real, honest relationships. We actually met at the local community children's centre, and it's funny how we long for community, but so often it's so difficult to find. Why is that? So that's the second thing. We want to be using scripture to challenge people's misconceptions. Drop, David often says this, drop the J-bomb in conversations and just see what happens. Drop out salty statements. If they're interested, they'll come back. The third thing Jesus does is this. Verse 28, and I just think, I just thought, what is Jesus doing when he does uh, this at the end of explaining, you'd think, after explaining to them how in the whole of Scripture everything was pointing towards himself, that the Christ had to suffer, he had to die, you'd think he'd then say, well, guys, that's all about me. <laughs> now come and bow the knee, repent and believe, because I am I'm the Messiah. But he doesn't do that. Verse 28, what does Jesus do? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. I won't get us to discuss this because we're running out of time, but why on earth does Jesus act as if he's going further? Is he just being duplicitous here? Is he sort of leading them to believe that he's making an exit? Why does he act as if he's going further? I've always wondered that. Let's look at verse 29. But they urged him strongly Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, I think there's all sorts of reasons why Jesus acts as if he were going further. But I think one of them is what we insinuated at the beginning, why Jesus asks a question to which he knows the answer. Jesus wants them to want him to stay. He wants them to take the initiative to invite him back. He wants them to want him to stay. And I don't know about you, but I find it jolly hard when I'm in a conversation where things are just hotting up and people are interested about Jesus to act as if I'm going further. Because you see, if Jesus had carried on that conversation right then and there, he might not have stayed the night with them. He might not have had a meal with them. Their eyes might not have been open to see him for who he really was. Because they invited him to stay. He stayed longer than he would have, perhaps, if the conversation had just continued and they'd gone on their way. Now, I wonder, how do we do this? How do we act as if we're going further in such a way that it catalyzes a, a desire for Jesus Christ, for them to say, no, I want him to stay a bit longer? Because it's when Jesus stays with them, eats a meal with them, that their eyes are opened. Um, Billy Graham <laughs> ran the table, I think I was reading his um, biography, just as I am, autobiography, just as I am, said that around the table once he was asked, you know, have you always been a religious person? 
And he, and you think, brilliant, gold dust. You know, I'm going to tell them the whole gospel now. And he said, you know, no, it was only when I was about um, 24 that something really significant happened to me. And then he left it at that. Well, of course, if they're interested, they're going to want to find out more. They're going to want him to stay and explain. And they did. And he was able to tell them more. How do we do this? Well, one of the little things that I've used, um, another thing that I've the Lord's sort of given me recently is a thing that I like to call gospel tagging. And if you're familiar with Facebook, <laughs> um, if someone uploads a picture of you and tags you in that photo, you'll get an email and uh, it'll say that you've been tagged in so-and-so's um, uh, photo. And the first thing you do is you need to get a bit of 3G or a bit of Wi-Fi internet on your phone. Um, you'll go and check yourself out because you want to see if, if you look good. And, and if you don't look good, you jolly well want to detag yourself because you don't want that being on, your, um, on the news feed that comes and people see, oh, that's that awful picture of so-and-so. Um, and the Bible describes itself as a mirror. In other words, we see ourselves for who we really are when we look at God's word. And one of the things I've been trying to do recently is to tag people, as it were, in gospel encounters that Jesus has with different people. So in other words, give them a little tag so it comes into their, <laughs> their virtual inbox of their lives where they say, oh, I want to go and check myself out. And the way I've done this is to um, have about six or eight stories up my sleeve of in different encounters Jesus has with Nicodemus or with um, Simon the Levite or uh, the, the woman who pours the perfume over Jesus' head or the woman at the well, a whole range of different people, Zacchaeus. And I get to know those stories well enough so that I can tell them in my own words. And, uh, and then I ask myself and ask the Lord and I study the passage and say, what is it about that person that Jesus really loves? What was their biggest obstacle to coming to know Jesus? What drew them to Jesus Christ? I really kind of get to know that person. And then I say, Lord, who is that person like among my friendship group and then I say to the person well you know what you really remind me of this person Jesus once had an encounter with and then I leave it at that and see what they say and now you might not say you really remind me of this prostitute who Jesus <laughs> who Jesus met at a dinner party but what was it about that woman that Jesus loved what was it about her and I did this recently with a friend. I said, you really remind me of this person that Jesus had an encounter with at the well. And she said, oh, God. And I said, and then she immediately apologized for that. And I, she said, oh, I said, do you know the story? And she said, no, I don't. And because we were short on time, I just told her where it was and to go and read it. I think we could be doing that a little bit more, dropping Jesus in conversations. We're opening up scripture without physically sitting down and reading with them, but hopefully that'll lead to conversations. And they say, oh, I don't see how I'm like that person at all. Go on, tell me, how did you think I was like that person? Tagging them so that they want to check themselves out. And the last thing that we notice about what Jesus does in this story, sorry, I haven't said the headings very well, have I? Jesus uh, is interested in them. He challenges their misconceptions about God's word. He arouses curiosity and the fourth thing, he opens their eyes. Verse 30 onwards. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. He opens their eyes. 
They urge Jesus to stay, and he does, and he eats with them. We, our responsibility is just to offer Christ, to keep putting out those invitations, and to let people urge him to stay. We let them take the initiative with that bit. We let people to urge Jesus to stay. Some might not, but some might. And I just want to finish with this final little story that blew my mind as to the people that could be interested in Jesus Christ. We've lived in our little house in Oxford for about three and a half years. And when we first moved in, um, we, we actually managed to buy it, which was amazing. And we thought, the first thing we'll do is get chickens, because you can't have chickens when you rent a place. So we bought chickens, and um, we immediately started um, dishing out our eggs to our neighbors. You know, it was a great way to get people in. People were much less ready to come into a house for a cup of tea than they were to see the chickens, weirdly. They wanted to come see the chickens. And one of our neighbors is a, uh, a couple who are in a civil partnership, two um, lovely women, and they've got a daughter who at the time was about 11. And their daughter used to come and help us muck out our chicken coop on a Saturday at her mum's request um, in, in exchange for some eggs that we gave. So it worked out really well for us. Anyway, we have had a great... They'd give us stuff from their allotment, and we'd give them chickens, and we'd babysit for them, and they'd be around when we had a break-in. You know, they came and looked after our things. And, um, and recently, let's call her Kate, was doing a massage therapy course, and she asked me if she could help clock up some of her hours, and she needed to practice um, some full-body massages on... Um, some people, and I said, well, that would be absolutely fantastic. You know, I'm not going to turn down full body mass. And she asked Guy as well if he had some, she needed to practice on men as well. And so she said, does he have any male friends um, who she could practice on? So I had this picture of all these ordinands from Wycliffe Hall coming into their house and having uh, massages. I have to say, I didn't, it wasn't full body in the end, but it was great. And so I had a massage, and then we had a meal um, with the three of them, and Guy came over as well. And Guy had just had this brilliant session with Becky Pippett, the American evangelist, that morning. So he was absolutely buzzing. And he said, you know, we need to invite them uh, to take a look at Jesus Christ. And we really need to do that. And I said, well, I don't think they'll be interested. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that with Kate's Catholic background, she's really put off. And I think, uh, let's just keep it easy. But he said, well, let's just ask. You know, the, they, they could say no. Anyway, over supper, and my sort of hair was a bit oily from the massage we had this great supper and guy said well i know that you want us to be uh, your guinea pigs for the massage table which is brilliant you know we very much appreciate that um would you be my guinea pig because i've been challenged at my college on one of my, the courses i'm doing to find out people's opinions about the historical jesus christ have you uh, got a, an, a spare evening where we could take a look at one of um, the stories about him and Kate turned to um, Yvonne, and Yvonne said to her, oh, yes, well, let me get my diary. She got it out, looked at it, and said, well, Monday nights work really well for us. And I thought, oh, please give them a way out, Guy. This is really awkward, because they might not want to do it. And Kate said, yeah, Mondays are good, and then looked at their daughter, Daisy, and said, um, Daisy, you're, you're interested in Jesus, aren't you, because you're studying him in RE at school. And she said, yes, yeah, I am. Anyway, we put it in the diary, and Monday night it was, and I thought, they're going to duck out. There's no way. Anyway, I cooked a lasagna and just sat in the back, and um, <laughs> they all came round on that Monday night. We had the lasagna, 
and we did a study in John's Gospel. We looked through the questions. We all had the questions together, and we all had the New Testament, so we all knew what question was coming up. And they loved it. And at the end of it, Kate said, you know, well, me and Jesus have quite a lot in common. We both hate religious hypocrisy, and we find the church a bit irritating sometimes. And Guy said, well, would you be interested in doing another one? And we'd agreed that we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. We said we'd just do one. But they said, yeah, Monday nights, as we said, are great for us. We'll pencil them in. So we ended up doing six studies with them in John's Gospel, and they became more and more interested in Jesus Christ. Now, what ended up happening was um, Kate's brother actually very tragically took his own life, and that sent her on a huge spiral of... Um, depression and um she said you know i can't look at scripture anymore at this time it's very very difficult for me so we we, we've stopped it but do pray that things would um spark up again but i think what it taught me there was let's not put anyone out of the realms of people who'd be interested in jesus christ jesus acts as if he's going further but he wants to stay he wants to have a meal with us he wants to stand at the door and knock So who can you offer Christ to this coming term? Who could you drop a provocative statement or a salty question um, that could open up conversation for this events week? Um, Because the Lord is doing much more work than we give him credit for. Well, I know I've run over time, and um, I think that's the end of our official time doing this. Um, Over to you. Just before you go, um, thank you so much. Um, You... I had a text, a, 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 a little message about a week ago, which caused me huge sadness about a Japanese girl called Azuzo who was starting to come to the cafe that this girl was running in York, and then she's taken her own life because she was so lonely and she, Christmas was worrying her and... and and then I got a text from Mary Jane about another Japanese girl. Could you just tell that story, which that encouraged me so much? I'll have to go. Do you have your phone? Because I sent it to you, didn't I? Yeah. Well, this is a bit bizarre, but we have a, um, a spare room in our house, and we have a number of family who live abroad. So we thought we might see if we could Airbnb our room um, to help fund our <laughs> travel to see family abroad. And so we've been just experimenting a little bit with it, just a couple nights here and there, having people to stay. And we feel very conflicted about it because we don't always want to have people in our house, but then this thing happened. So we had a lovely Japanese girl stay with us for a couple nights on exchange. And um, she was very interested that Guy was training to be vicar and asked if she could come along to church with us. Um, One Sunday she said, can I bike there? And I said, yes, yeah, of course, we'd love to have you come along to church. But I was a bit nervous, sort of checking out who's preaching and what was going on. And, but I said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And then I was actually going out to an, an evening event at Wycliffe at Guy's College that night uh, for the spouses of trainee vicars um, on Anglicanism. And she said, oh, could I come to that? And I said, well, it's actually meant to be for the you know, trainee vicars' spouses. Um, but then I thought, I'm being very exclusive. Yes, yes, of course you can come. So you came along to this evening on Anglicanism for <laughs> training biggest spouses, which um, she very diligently took down notes. Anyway, I thought this isn't quite the best group for her to join. Perhaps there's a group um, 
where she can meet other international students who are also interested in Jesus. So I hooked her into um, a group at Oxford Brooks, which is where she was studying the International English Club, which runs cafes for international students, and a Japanese Bible study in Japanese at St. Ebbs, which is another church in Oxford, all done in Japanese. And she ended up going along to both groups. She's been away to weekends away with them. And then she sent me um, this this was, it, was it an email or text, I think? Oh, okay. Sorry. And um, she came around the following week and had Sunday lunch with us. And I said, how did it go? How are your meetings going? And she brought out this overview of Genesis 3 in Japanese. And I thought, that looks brilliant. <laughs> it was so St. Ebbs. It was so sort of systematic, going through it all. And I thought, this is fantastic. She's getting such great Bible teaching. And she started crying. And she said, <laughs> her English wasn't very good, but she said, you saved my life like this. And mm. she said, um, I now feel I can survive in Oxford. Now, I'm sure a lot of it was loneliness and coming from abroad and being brought in. But she also said, I've just downloaded the Bible app on my phone in Japanese so I can read and follow what's going on. I can't find it, sorry. Yeah, it's on your... And mm. uh, it's actually on your... Uh, sorry. And here she said this. She said, Hi, MJ. Thanks to you, I've been enjoying living in Oxford. You're an important person for me. You changed and saved my life in Oxford. Nowadays, I'm joining some Bible studies and church. I'm believing God now. She was actually meant to come and hear you speak at that women's breakfast, but we got the wrong uh, English. I mean, I didn't communicate well. She came to church the following day instead. It was my turning point that I met you. In addition, I'm contacting American Christian group where I'll stay in. They said they'll welcome me, smiley face. There are some Japanese Christians in there. I'm supposed to keep going to church even after I leave here. Thank you so much again. Love, Sechiko. Um, I have to say I was quite stressed out when she was staying with us because we were having a particularly stressful time with the two boys trying to settle Charlie into nursery. And I'd come back and she'd be around all smiley and I'd have screaming boys and want to put them to bed. And I just felt like, please just get out of my hair I didn't really want to see but she said I just downloaded the bible app and I say oh fantastic but you know I need to get these boys to bed so I don't think I was a particularly great witness I fobbed her off into other Christians but um the Lord did a great work in her so mm, praise the Lord you. great well we said we'd finish at twelve thirty. it's twelve twenty-eight. thank you very much uh, my love that was really good but, applause, yeah I was very struck by that little phrase in that text that said, it is my turning point meeting you. And I just wonder who in London might say the same about us in a few months' time. Sometimes I think we're a bit apologetic about sharing Jesus with our neighbors and friends. And there are people out there who really want to to have hope. They may not know that their hope is going to be in Jesus, but they're, they're despairing. And We've got some French neighbors who've just moved in. And uh, after the Paris bombings, we just popped around and uh, gave them a a plant and a card. And they were just disproportionately grateful that someone had reached out to them. And we went around and had a drink with them. And um, Who knows what's going to come out of that? But it's just a fantastic um, thing to know that we have got 
what the world needs. And so let's be open-handed with it. Might be, we might be the turning point in someone's lives. P- please, God, may that be the case. Shall we just pray and then we'll uh, depart? Our loving Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to say to people, come and see, even in the next week, and as we look ahead to the events week as well, and indeed a rolling program of come and see. But thank you too for this emphasis on go and tell, and please help us, Lord Jesus, to be contagious Christians and to see the opportunities when they come and to take them. Thank you that we don't go alone and thank you, as we sang earlier, for leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Thank you for the loving presence of Emmanuel speaking with us and for us. Please strengthen us, we pray, to live for you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much for coming. It's been great to see you all. Thank you particularly, Roger and MJ, uh, for all you've shared with us. And uh, thank you for those who've helped serve coffee and get the place ready, do the sound, music and everything. Um, See you all tomorrow.